Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome back to the first Revolution Recap of 2019. Happy New Year to all of our listeners. I'm Sean Donahue, joined today by Greg Johnstone. We're coming to you as the Revolution prepare for the Super Draft on Friday, January 11th. Um, with that upcoming, and of course, there have been some very interesting developments with the Revolution uh, making an important trade of Kellen Rowe for Edgar Castillo, um, which we'll talk a lot more about, and uh, Juan Caicedo being their addition at striker from Colombia. So um, some interesting moves that the Revolution have made since we've last been on the air, and I think that that's going to be the focus of this show. Uh, but really, we've got a lot of great questioners from the listeners, and I think that's going to kind of lead where we head with this one and, and really cover all the topics that we wanted to talk about. Um, so on that note, I'm going to turn it over to Greg, uh, who can kind of take us through some of those questions and, and use that as the, the point to discuss the points that we were hoping to talk about anyways. Yeah, I, I was going to say, we we got a lot of questions about the topics we we're going to hit anyway, so I think this is going to be an episode of just listener questions, um, just so we can kind of kind of go through as these questions came in. So um, we're going to start about the Kellen Rowe trade, maybe the biggest news since we last recorded. Um, Zach Grime asked us, could the Rovs have gotten more for Kellen Rowe? Uh, the Revs, of course, swapped Kellen Rowe straight up for Edgar Castillo uh, with Colorado, and then Colorado shipped Kellen Rowe to Kansas City. Um, Sean, what do you think? Could, did the Revs make a good deal here? So uh, there was an interesting tweet by Matt Doyle uh, a little while ago where he mentioned that the Revolution had better offers for Kellen Rowe, and I don't think he ever clarified you know, who they were. And that, the, he said they had better offers midseason last year. Um, he, I, I, again, I don't remember or didn't notice if he said what those offers were. Uh, but that makes sense to me that the Revolution would have had better offers midseason last year. You have to put this in context. And, and Kellen Rowe was a guy who, as we've talked about before, is up for free agency after next season. So any team that's trading for him has to realize that it could just be a one-season rental, which makes sense to me that you know if it was a season-and-a-half rental last year, that his value would be a bit more. Um, but you know, I think Given the time frame when the revolution traded him, given that his value had you know probably gone down a bit from not a very good season by his standards, um, what they got in Edgar Castillo I think was a, a very good move for the Revs. Um, yes, he's 32 years old, uh, but he's a guy that's one of the you know arguably one of the top three left backs in the league. I think the MLS or somebody at MLS put out a list of you know the best lineups in the league, and the only Revolution guy that made one of the you know top three of them was was Eric Castillo, um, and that makes sense to me. He's a you know fantastic left back. You know, yes, he's thirty two. Yes, you might only get you know two good seasons out of him. Who knows? Maybe just one good season out of him. But you have to realize that Kellen Rowe was going to be able to walk at the end of the season for nothing. Um, and I think any team that's trading for him also has to realize that Kellen Rowe can walk at the end of their season for nothing. You know, Kansas City has to convince him to stay there and, and not go away to, to Seattle. He's going to be a very attractive free agent at the end of the season, even if he doesn't have a very good year. Um, so I, I actually think that the Revolution, you know, got the value that they should have gotten for Kellen Rowe, given the scenario. Uh, you, you could very well make the case that they should have traded him midway through last season. I think it was, you know, becoming pretty clear uh, pretty early in the year that Kellen Rowe didn't fit what Brad Friedel was trying to do. He entered the season with, you know, some injuries that didn't help things. Um, but he never really seemed to fit with, with Brad Friedel. That became, you know, even more obvious as the season wore on. But, you, you know, so you could make a case uh, that, 
you know, they should have traded him sooner, in which case they could have gotten more. And, and Matt Doyle says they could have gotten more. Um, but given when they traded him, I do think they got good value. And they addressed a, a really big need for the Revolution, who've been trying to find, you know, a good left back for, for years now, as it became clear that Chris Tierney, you know, age was catching up to him and that speed wasn't, you know, wasn't good enough to compete at this level anymore. Um, so I think they did really well in, in, in solving that. And I think they have a much better defense going into next season just with that one move. Um, so I, I do think it was the right move for the Revolution, given the timing of the trade. Yeah, and I agree with a lot of what you said. If I had to grade this trade, I'd give it about a B plus. Um, I, I, the wording here, I, I'm going to be kind of particular with the wording. Zach asked us specifically, could the Revs have gotten more for Rowe? And I think in this moment in time, the answer is no, the Revolution couldn't have gotten much more for Kellen Rowe. Um, and uh, to your point, Sean, I, I think his value was a lot more last year, but him going, being benched and kind of playing all over the place and not really having a role in this team really diminished his value as time went on. So if the answer was, should the revolution have gotten more for Kellen Rowe? I, I think the answer is yes, you should have. Um, I think he should have had a bigger role in this team last year if you're going to hold him into this season, or you should have traded him last season. I mean, this is a contract year for Kellen Rowe. Even if you ex- extend his option, he's gone next season. So they kind of put themselves at a place where they were either going to hold Kellen Rowe and kind of have him play the same role he did last year um, or and, and let him walk at the end of the season or trade him now for whatever you can get. Um, there was actually another comment from Revolution Central who said, uh, we swapped Rowe, a youngish player with national team potential for a 32-year-old. Uh, I would assume salaries came into play with Castillo's being much lower than Rowe's, but we should have gotten more in exchange. Um, and that's a good, I mean, that is a fair way to look at it. Kellen Rowe was kind of the best player that, uh, was involved in this trade, but, um, you look at Edgar Castillo last year, he made, uh, less money. I think he was about around a hundred thousand was his salary figure. I know he's on loan from a team in Mexico. Uh, so I, I, I don't know if salary will bump up next season or if there was another fee, the revolution had to pay, <clears throat> but, um, Ultimately, the revolution fill a hole that they've had for the past couple seasons. Uh, Edgar Castillo is a guy that can get up into the attack. Uh, he he makes the team a lot better, I feel, than playing Brandon by there or you know potentially taking another swing and miss on a guy like another Somi. So I, I think the revolution filled their biggest need going into the super draft and going into the rest of the 2019 offseason. Uh, and they did it with Kellen Rowe, who was a bit of an expendable part. So um, the Revs are a stronger team. Uh, the, the Revs, I think, did what they could with Kellen Rowe's trade value. But uh, I think I agree with a lot of your sentiments, Sean, which is that they should have traded him last season if they weren't going to uh, use him in a starting role because I think they would have been able to get a lot more uh, and, and probably they should have got they, they would have gotten a return that they should have gotten for Kellen Rowe. But in this moment in time, I, I think the Revolution are just happy to kind of, as I say, fill a hole and, and move Kellen Rowe somewhere else where he can uh, play minutes in the midfield. Yeah, and you know, reading into the press release from the Revolution from this, it seems like Colorado um, completed the transfer before um, he came before they made the trade to the Revolution. So I think Colorado actually pr- picked up whatever the transfer fee was for Castillo. And I, I don't know, you know, exactly how that worked out. I guess we'll find out as the season goes on. Um, I, I would expect Castillo's contract is probably a bit of a bump up from what he was, you know, playing playing for last year. And you know, worth noting as we have before that when a guy is on loan, um, often the MLS team isn't picking up 100 percent of his salary. So the salary that's actually listed by the the players union isn't exactly what he's making. Um, so I do 
think that Castillo's salary is going to be higher this year and you know perhaps even more than what Rowe was making last year but I, you know again they got one of the best left backs in the league and, and one of the weakest positions for the revolution you know if you take age out of the equation I think Castillo is a better player than Rowe um, it's just a question of how many more years does he have left and and then and you know again with Rowe you only had one year left of him because he was going to be going somewhere else regardless and the one other thing worth looking at is, is what the you know the Rapids got for Rowe and I, I think the Rapids are, are not a good front office to look at as far as a team that's been you know great at getting trade trade value for players but you know they traded row to kansas city for diego rubio and also had to had to give away two hundred thousand dollars in general allocation money and a hundred thousand of targeted allocation money you know all for rubio who only got nine starts for kansas city last year um you know was a, a regular in and out of the, the bench and, and rotating but he, you know he wasn't a big star for kansas city he's been in kansas city for for three years and has managed 23 starts and you know he's not that young he's 25 years old so i you know if you Put any stock in what Colorado got for Kellen Rowe. I think the Revolution did a lot better um, than what Colorado did in, in trading Kellen Rowe after that. Um, so you know, again, you, you can can't read too much into that because I don't think Colorado's front office is, is one to to look to 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 make good decisions. Uh, but and, and you know, in a sense, I think that does make the Revolution's trade look even better uh, based on what you know they had to give up to get Diego Rubio with a, a Kellen Rowe package. Yeah, I think if you had to rank who who won that trade, I think Kansas City is the clear winner. The Revs did okay, and Colorado, I think, is the clear loser. And Colorado, I believe, they got Kai Kamara, correct? Uh, so it's not like they were addressing – they didn't have a striker. It was kind of an an interesting uh, move for them to bring in Diego Rubio and for, for Kellen Rowe and allocation money. It was they a, always a, make a bit of a weird moves. string. <laughs> Sorry, you you can never figure out what Colorado's front office is doing to, to go after Kai Kamara and then make that kind of a trade for Diego Rubio and I believe both of I believe uh, Rubio is international too, so you factor that into his value when you're you're talking about him. So I I don't I don't know what they were thinking, but I completely agree with you if you're to, to rank this trade, you know, unless Rubio goes on to to have a phenomenal season and somehow Kansas City was was missing how good he was by not playing him that much. Um, I don't know. It's a it, to me. It's it's pretty clear that Kansas City probably won this trade, and the Revolution did you know decently well. And I don't know what you know what Colorado was thinking because, as you mentioned, you know they made the move for Kai Kamara as well. Not often we get to say that the Revolution were not the uh, least competent uh, front <laughs> office involved in the trade. Um, we're going to move on to probably the most surprising news I think of so far of this offseason. Probably the biggest surprise I can remember. Probably maybe maybe since we've been doing the podcast, Sean uh, Juan Agudelo is coming back. Uh, we, I think, wrote him off as gone. Uh, I, I was very, very surprised that he signed a multi-year deal with the New England Revolution. So I'm, I'm very stunned at this. Um, and Joe asks us, what's the plan with Juan Agadello? Uh, he's best played as a striker, but don't see him getting a ton of minutes in a one-striker si- system with Caicedo up top. Uh, and he's referencing, of course, to Juan Fernando Caicedo, who we'll talk about in a second. He was uh, also signed from a Colombian team uh, while, while we've been off the air. So, uh, Sean, uh, what's the plan with Juan Agadello? That is a fantastic question. Um, you know, I, I can't remember. I think it, I can't remember if we were on the show um, before it was announced that they had offered him a bona fide offer and you know took him out of the expansion draft. But you know, because it was a bona fide offer, that means they had to have offered him equal to what his salary was last year. And as we've you know talked about before, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense based on Aguadillo's recent play to offer him you know six hundred and three thousand dollars, which was what his you know total comp was last year. Um, now. 
is there a chance that the revolution maybe talked him down a bit to get him to you know sign a longer contract? I, I don't know. Um, I'm very curious, probably more curious than any other player, to see what his actual compensation is next year. Because if they brought him back for six hundred and three thousand dollars, which they very well may have, given they had to make him a bona fide offer, because again, I have trouble seeing how you you know put an offer out to a guy to six hundred three thousand dollars and then convince him to take less unless it's just a little bit less for you know some guaranteed years. Um, but I don't know where Juan Aguadilla fits into this team. I don't think he had a good year for the Revs. I, you know, there were some flashes there, but nothing anywhere near worthy of his salary. Um, he really hasn't lived up to his potential over the past several seasons. You know, his first stint with the Revolution was extremely promising. He was very young back then. Um, I think a lot of people were excited when he came back to the Revolution, and rightfully so because of what they saw in his first stint. Uh, but I agree, his best role is up top. Um, he's had a few chances in his career to, to be that lone striker for the Revolution, and you know, the consistency has never really been there. Um, so, you know, while I agree it's his best role up top, I, I don't think he's done anything to deserve um, another extended run up there. I, I don't know what they're thinking here. I'm not sure that he has trade value to trade away, especially if he's making $603,000. I think there could have been somebody that would have you know brought him in in the reentry draft in the second stage and, you know, tried to negotiate his contract down. Um, but at $603,000, if that's what they're bringing him back at, you know, I don't see how he fits out on this team. and I don't really see how he's a trade asset. Um, so I'm kind of lost on this one. Um, if, you know, Caicedo ends up being a bust, then, you know, maybe he's a rotation guy with Bunbury up top more this year. Um, if they, you know, fail miserably to, to bring in another winger, uh, which I think they need to do, then, you know, maybe by necessity, he's playing on the wing more again this year. Uh, but it, it, it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Yeah, I agree with a lot of what you said. And, and if I remember correctly where we left it off, we were trying to figure out if he had a bona fide offer extended to him. And it was right before the ex- expansion draft. And uh, I, I think we speculated that he wasn't getting a bona fide offer extended to him uh, because they would have announced it already. So we were all sorts of wrong on this, on the one I got out of But no, I agree with everything you said. It makes me wonder if they might be trying to switch to a two striker system. Um, I, I don't think that's what they're doing, but if they're sticking with the four two three one and they're playing him as a right winger and they're signing him to a big money long long term deal to be playing on that right wing, th- that's really confusing to me to why exactly they would do that. Um, I, I wonder if this increases the chance of a Diego Fagundes trade that maybe they want to kind of keep their young, young attackers and, and move Diego Fagundes uh, maybe as trade bait. Um that's really speculative though and i i have nothing to base that off of other than i'm trying to figure out exactly why they would do this um he's a weird fit on the wing so i i you know what's his what's the plan with him i, I really don't know uh and the only, the only other thing i can think of is that you know juan agadello he was talking about testing you know the waters in europe it must have been that interest was very very low for him i if i was juan agadello i'm not sure why i would come back to the revolution either a couple of years ago you know we talk about kellen Rowe getting national team intre- uh, interest um you know he was making appearances for the united states team you know two or three years ago um now he's 26 he's kind of at a co- crossroads um you know his his value is not going to get any higher if he sticks with the revolution so um you know his interest in europe must not have been very well and, and he must have felt that you know the revolution made him an offer that's going to be his best offer um I, I wonder if the money is a little bit lower and he has a little bit more security in multiple years uh but yeah I, i'm gonna be really uh, that's the, when the the mls salaries come out i think my, my, i'm gonna look straight at one i got salary figure because if they're paying him 600 650 thousand I, I don't think that's a really effective way to spend your money i'm not i really do not get this fit whatsoever yeah and the only thing i can think there too well just i mean looking at the the system that 
Radfido played last year. I don't think Aguadelo was particularly cut out for the high press either. Um, but like you said, maybe they're looking to play two strikers this season, which you know would make more sense why they brought back Aguadelo, Bunbury, and then signed Caicedo. Um, I'm actually very curious to see how Brad Friedel approaches this season because when you talk about Edgar Castillo, he's a guy that you know really adds a lot to a defense that could have a lot going forward. Um, and, and if the Revolution actually tried to play the ball a bit more on the ground and try to keep possession more this year and focus less on the press, I think they have a you know decent defense for that type of style of play. I still think their defense doesn't work for the press, and maybe Brad Friedel has realized that. I kind of tend to doubt it, uh, but maybe he has, and he's going to switch to a more four-four-two with you know Agudelo and Caicedo, or you know Caicedo and Bunbury, and some sort of rotation up there, um, because you know, like you said, and, and like I said earlier, it just doesn't make any sense otherwise. And we're going to move over to the other signing the Revolution made, uh, the signing of Juan Fernando Caicedo, uh, a Colombian forward. It looks like he's going to unseat Teal Bunbury as the lone striker if the Revolution stick with their uh, current 4-2-3-1 uh, system. Uh, I believe it's not known if he's going to be a DP. Uh, I, I think it's one of their weird signings yes, that's potentially DP, but it might be Tam, depending on who else signs. So it doesn't strike me as a huge game changer overall, but it seems like it might be an improvement over Teal Bunbury, who kind of faded towards the end of the season. Um, it also, I, I feel, makes Teal Bunbury be a trade candidate. Uh, especially if they bring back Juan Agadello and they have two strikers. If they find someone to upgrade on the wing, I feel like then they have Juan Agadello as a, a, an extra player. So, um, But overall, uh, I would give this signing about a B or a B-. minus. I haven't seen a lot of Caicedo that overly you know, makes me enthusiastic about the signing. But uh, you know, as I say, it's probably a, a, an upgrade over Teal Bunbury. Um, and so we also have a question from Zach Grimes. Uh, he says, can Caicedo be a consistent goal scorer for this team if he has the right pieces around him? Uh, I, I think so. Uh, as I say, I, I think he is going to be an upgrade over Bunbury. So I, I could see him being a 13, 14 goal type guy uh, if he stays healthy. Um, but I mean, we, we don't, we're never really sure how these uh, South American guys really adjust to the revolution system until they get here. So uh, Sean, what's your thoughts on Caicedo and what have you seen from him? What do you think we can expect from him? Yeah, like with always the caveat that, you know, we're not regularly watching the Colombian League. Uh, looking at his highlights, he seems like a great finisher. He seems like a guy that can pick up scraps and, and put them away. And, you know, that's something that's important. You know, when you talk about, again, Brad Friedel's system, I think that's something that, that works in it. Um, it's something that they needed. I think he's probably a better finisher than Teal Bunbury from from you know, what I've seen in highlights. Um, he's had you know multiple multi goal seasons. I mean, multiple you know ten plus goal seasons in Colombia, which is you know a good sign. The Revolution needs somebody that can be a consistent double digit goal scorer. Bunbury has only done it once, um, so you know maybe Caicedo is going to be that guy. Uh, I do think Caicedo's you know pegged in as the starter over over Bunbury, given. Um, you know, what the Revolution are paying for him, either TAM or designated player money. Uh, what I will say here is that going into this offseason, I think we you know, both agree the Revolution need to make a splash somewhere. Um, and they need help attacking, whether that be a number nine or a number 10. And this signing, you know, makes me think that they're probably not going to spend big money on another number nine going into this year. Um, so I think there's more emphasis now that they have to bring in, you know, a, a DP number 10. Um, and I think if they do do that and you know, bring in a, a really good signing to play the playmaker role, um, Casado could certainly benefit from that. And I think he could have a you know good double digit season and score more goals this year than Bunbury did last year. Um, but it, it's all speculation because you know <laughs> who knows how you know playing in the Colombian league um, is going to translate to playing for the Revolution in MLS. Uh, but I do think that there's some potential there that he could be a you know better finisher and uh, fit the Revolution system better than Bunbury and provide a bit of what they need to to pick up those scraps and finish off chances when the Revolution can get. 
Yeah, and I'll also add too that I'm I'm curious to see how long his contract is for because he's already 29 years old. He's turning 30 in July this year, so this isn't a Christian Pena or a Luis Caicedo who's kind of on the younger end and potentially has a lot of years ahead of him. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if this is a one or two year deal. So it, it might be a little bit lower risk. They might be kind of overpaying for a, a short term gain. Um, so it, it'll be an interesting fit to see. How well he does. I, I think what the the wording of this question too, um, if he has the right pieces around him, uh, is pretty key because you're right. He seems to be someone that uh, picks up a lot of the scraps. If you can feed him the ball, he's going to be able to finish it. Uh, and I, I question the Revolution's ability to uh, feed strikers the ball sometimes. Uh, maybe Edgar Castillo and that acquisition will uh, <laughs> uh, Im- improve the service to the striker position. But um, overall, yeah, as I say, we'll, I'm lukewarm on this signing. I agree with a lot of what you said. Uh, it'll be curious to see how it pans out. Um, yeah, moving the, just to, oh, to build on that, when you mentioned Castillo, too, and it's something that I, I didn't mention before, um, is I don't have the number in front of me, but I remember when I was, I was looking at it, Castillo, Castillo actually would have been number two on the revolution in key passes behind only Fagundes, I believe. Uh, actually had more than Pania last year, if I'm if I'm remembering correctly. Um, so, you know, he's a guy that can add a lot to the attack. When you, you know, He's a great defensive left back, but he's also capable of providing a lot of service up top. So Caicedo is potentially a guy that could, could benefit from that. Um, but, you know, the, the trade-off with Caicedo and Bunbury is Bunbury has a lot more speed. Um, and, you know, we talk about work rate and hustle, and Bunbury provides a lot of that. And I don't know if Caicedo is going to jump in, if you know, again, if Brad Friedel plays the same as he did last year, and that's going to be something that he's capable of doing. So that'll be uh, another thing to watch this season is, is how Caicedo fits in with, with Friedel's system and uh, the hustle there. Because I agree with you, the revolution last year didn't show um, an ability to create all the, that many chances. Uh, so that'll be, you know, you know, as a guy that... We can, we can tell is good at finishing off chances in the box, but perhaps not creating them on his own. Um, that's going to be key for the Revs. So moving on to some other news, I think I think those were the three big ticket items that we, we kind of had to address uh, right away. and They've kind of been sitting there for a little bit too. Uh, but we did get some other questions uh, about the revolution, so we'll, we'll go through those right now. Um, AJ asks, how does our scouting department compare to the rest of the league? Uh, Sean, I know we've uh, mentioned this a little bit before. Uh, I would say poorly. <laughs> I, I think uh, a few episodes ago, I, I said that the Revolution are still kind of stuck in MLS 1.4 mode. <laughs> you know, they're they're not even at MLS 2.0 yet, uh, let alone MLS 3. So, um, you know, I, I think we've talked before about how their scouting department is a little bit bare uh, and how they're not very well proven. Uh, they do have a second scout too, but uh, I, I think we have uh, some questions about it. So, uh, Sean, uh, do you want to do your rant about the scouting department? Yeah, I mean, they're making progress. If they if, if uh, Nevlev is meant to work alongside Remy Roy, they have two scouts now, two dedicated scouts, which is you know better than one and is better than the zero they had before they had Remy Roy. Um, but again, it's it's catching up with the rest of the league. I think, you know, you look at a team like Seattle Sounders who have, um, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I know they have significantly more assistant coaches than the Revolution in addition to scouting staff. Um, you know, I can't speak for every team in the league, but there's a lot of teams out there now that have much, much bigger staffs than the Revolution, both as assistant coach and as scouts. Um, and, you know, when you have many, many assistant coaches, you can use those guys as scouts as well. Um, and, of course, the Revolution we see send some of their assistant coaches out to scout, which is fine in the offseason, but during the season you can't really do that. Um, so, you know, it's progress for the Revolution. The results speak for themselves. Uh, the Revolution historically have been very poor at international signings. Um, you know, a bit of progress last year with Pania and Caicedo, although I think the rest of their international signings were, for the most part, kind of bust. You know, Zahibo, I guess the, the verdict is still a little bit out on, but uh, certainly Machado was 
was a, a, an awful signing and Hache was an awful signing um, and Somi was an awful signing and now he's you know stuck again next year because they gave him you know, multiple guaranteed years for some crazy reason. Um, he's, he's drawing interest in Europe, though. Did you see that? Yeah, I, I did see that, and I think the they're, revolution they're... would be great. Would be, you know be wise to do whatever they can to let him go on a free transfer to any team that wants to take their contract his contract off their hands. Um, so we'll, we'll see if anything comes out of that. But um, you know, I, I, I think it's great that the revolution have two scouts now. I talked a bit about it. You know how they you know signed Sergio Nevlev, who is Marcelo Nevlev's assistant coach's brother. Um, so you know we can make any we can you can draw your own conclusions on how hard they work to to find that hire um and and what his experience is i'm not really sure um so we'll we'll see what happens there but it's great the revolution have added a scout and it's great the revolution have two scouts but i do think they still have a ways to go to catch up to the the top teams in the league and as we talked about you know many times the revolution don't spend as much as the top team in the league so it's even more important that they you know get hits when they evaluate talent and actually go out and make an international signing um, which is why it's extremely important that they have not only scouts but good scouts that are good talent evaluators i will say the one thing i I am i i I agree with everything you said i do think that it is getting better for the revolution because they i I feel they are behind uh compared to the other teams in the league that you know scout very well and are able to go out and get get kind of more proven players uh but i I do think that brad friedel has brought a bit of a change that they're bringing in people who take you know fitness and conditioning more seriously i think the revolution takes scouting a lot more seriously so i I, it's not i I still think they're a below average team in terms of scouting and yes friedel did not hit uh very well in year one he did have caicedo and and pania but you as you mentioned you kind of listed off all the other guys who who had their struggles um Overall, though, I, I think it's moving in the correct direction. So uh, I think in one or two years, there probably will be another couple of scouts. And I think we're going to see kind of some more solid hits uh, in years two, three, and four uh, for the revolution. I shouldn't say more solid hits. I should say more consistency uh, in scouting. I think right now he's just kind of patching in the gaps. you know. And I, I think a Christian Machado might be a little more appealing in year one, whereas year two or year three of Brad Friedel's system, I don't think they make that signing. I don't think they look for kind of stop gaps. Uh, like Hauche, who, you know, they kind of want to fill in the right wing to see if he does something. I, I think they'll look a little bit more long-term uh, and, and a little bit better. So that's kind of my my thoughts overall. Um, my only thing I wanted to add there is, you know, you look at Brad Friedel, and they talked a lot about his, you know, his connections when they signed him. And, you know, his connections are mostly in, in Europe, you would assume. And we haven't really seen, other than, than Mancien and, I guess, Zahibo, much in the way of, of signings from Europe. And so me. Today, Somi. Oh, and, and so me. So, a, a, kind of a, a failure there. But I'm not really sure how much Friedel's connected to to that league. Um, but I'm curious if in in year two, particularly given you know Friedel's comment about the, the English mentality and the mentality of you know, playing in Europe, um, if in year two we're going to see you know a couple more players from from Europe come over that you know Friedel uses his connections to bring. Um, so that's something to watch. Uh, moving on, we got another question too from uh, at Dendon29. Uh, he's actually got a two-part question, so we'll address the first question first, and then I'll move on from there. Uh, could one big DP signing change the Revs' front office perception? Uh, and I guess that in terms of spending money, I- I'm curious to take ha- for your take first, Sean, and then I'll give you mine. So, if they actually go out and make a, a big name signing, 
you know, as a DP, um, somebody of the stature of a Jermaine Jones and the Revolution are proactive in making that signing. He's not a guy that's, you know, looking to go back in the league and they kind of jump in as, a, as another team is bidding for him. Um, I think that would start to change the perception of the Revs. I don't think one change, one signing changes it overnight, um, unless that signing is Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo, which we all know is never going to happen. Um, but I do think, in particular, as I was saying, a, a creative attacking number 10 um, that you know somebody has heard of before, if the Revolution could somehow go out there and find one of those and, and bring them into this team and spend a lot of money on it and you know make the effort themselves to do it, um, that would do go a long way to start changing the perception of this Revolution team. Um, it's quite clear that they need to go out and sign a couple of players to make this team competitive on top of what they've already signed this offseason. Um, but, but yes, if the Revolution went out there and signed one DP and who's not you know, a, a low-level guy like a, a, you know, a Kaiseido who may or may be a DP or maybe a TAM guy um, and, you know, someone that the, you know, perhaps have heard of uh, other than through some highlight videos, uh, I do think that would go a long way to change the perception of this team and, and, and be a signal of intent that going forward they're, they're going to do that more. Of course, we thought that when they signed Jermaine Jones that that might be a signal that they're going to spend more going forward and they really haven't since Jermaine Jones left. Um, so I think there's, you know, a lot of reason to be skept- skeptics even if the revolution do go out there and make a signing like that. Yeah, and you kind of took my point. I was going to say if it was going to change the change the perception, wouldn't Jermaine Jones have done it? I mean, he came in, he made an immediate impact on the team, took the uh, the team to an MLS Cup within six months. Um, I know it didn't really end well here with Jermaine Jones. I know year two was not as uh, strong of a season for the Revolution as year one, but uh, you know he was a big addition to this team, and he he took as I say took him right to the MLS Cup. So I don't know if I totally agree with you. I, I, if, if it would have made a big perception, I feel like they would take another big swing on a U.S. men's national team star or something like that uh, to kind of bring in to serve an immediate need. I mean, this team has really been kind of the same core for the last four seasons since Jermaine Jones has left. So um, I don't know. You feel like they would need a, a, a strong DP. And I don't know. They, they just haven't seemed to be willing to go out and get it. Um, I will say, so this leads us into the second question, uh, which is, uh, do the Revs need a cultural DP signing, be it Portuguese or Brazilian, to connect with the local population? Uh, Any references, Carlos Vela with LAFC and uh, Sebastian Giovinco with Toronto's Italian population? Um, I I think that's a little bit more possible, too. I, I think if it's a more marketable DP uh, I, I think the revolution would be a lot more for it. I think they'd be they'd kind of see dollar signs uh, and want to uh, market a foreign star, whoever it is. Um, I know a couple of years ago, Brian wrote an article on uh, Brian O'Connell wrote an article on New England Soccer Today about uh, how great Cristiano Ronaldo uh, or a Portuguese star would be in Foxborough. Uh, and th- this is kind of the same line of thinking. I, I, I think that would be something that the revolution would be a little bit more willing to do uh, to get more and more fans interested in the MLS. But personally, I don't I don't see the, the revolution doing it because, as I say, I, I just don't think they're going to go out and spend a ton of money unless it's the correct fit. I guess they did spend money on Michael Mancien, but uh, I I don't know I, i'm really not holding my breath here yeah look we know the revolution at, at some point went out um you know years ago and, and made an offer for louis figo we have no idea how much that offer was but i think that kind of shows you know where the revolution's mind is when they're looking at a big name dp signing and i think it is you know that sort of that that cultural signing someone that fits in with the demographics of of new england and you know the perceived demographics of, of soccer fans in New England, um, you know, Louis Figo obviously would have done that. It would have been that, you know, huge Portuguese star. Um, we don't know how serious the revolution's offer to him was. If it was something that he just laughed off, um, which certainly could have been the case. We just know that the revolution at some point did go after him. Um, you know, 
uh, you, there's no Luis Figo out there right now, other than Cristiano Ronaldo. There's nobody else at that level from Portugal. I don't know who the Revolution could sign that would really bring people in. Um, you know, maybe a Charisma. I, I just don't know. Or a Nanny. I don't know if those guys would would really draw fans. I think it probably would. Um, but it, I, I do think that that's something that you know, if Mike Burns goes to Bob Kraft and says, you know, we need the money to sign this designated player. You know, it's it's Nanny. It's Charisma. It's a guy that's going to bring you know a lot of butts into the seats. We think um, that that might be the path they'd go, and might be the path that they'd need to go to to make that kind of signing. Guys that are going to sell jerseys. Um, you know, not necessarily guys like a Guillermo Barrascloto who the Revolution passed on and, and could have had for cheap, um, or even like a Ignacio Piatti who you know Montreal has done really well with. I think you know to spend that kind of money like Montreal spent on Piatti, it might actually take um, that type of signing. Um, but with that said, I think that's a lot more important to the revolution when they move to Boston and they're really trying to, to bring the fans in. So if the revolution, I, I've, I've long said that I think the revolution are kind of in a holding pattern where they're not going to spend big on a guy until they actually make that permanent move into a soccer specific stadium, um, which may or may not ever happen. Uh, but, but my assumption is that we won't see a signing like that until that happens. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. And kind of sticking along the big signing uh, train, uh, we got a comment from Joshua Davies saying, signing a central midfielder uh, that can lead this team into the playoffs. So he thinks the central midfield needs to be addressed. Um, I kind of agree. I, I think a 10 would be ideal. I think that's kind of the biggest need for the revolution and would make the biggest impact overall. But um, I do think the central midfield might be an area which the revolution need to address. Uh, I know they got, it's a little crowded right now with Caldwell and Zahibo and Caicedo, but outside of Caicedo, I, I don't think they have, um, uh, I don't know, a, a solidified partner uh, in the central midfield. Um, Sean, what are your thoughts? And do you see any other needs for the revolution to address uh, in the remaining, of the, uh, the remainder of the off season? Yeah, so I kind of touched on it before in that I think based on signing Casado, I don't think we're going to be bringing in a big name, you know, striker or spending a lot of money on a striker other than Casado. Um, so with that in mind, I think there's two positions that the Revolution need help at. Um, the most obvious one is number ten, as you pointed out, and that's an area where you really could splash a lot of money and make a huge. Uh, change really get a game changer in that role that could help the revolution a lot. Um, you know, Fagundes did admirably there, admirably there last year, but I think he has a ceiling in that role, and I think he's better suited for the wing um, because of that. Um, but I also think the revolution could you know do well to find somebody on the right wing that can do what Pania does in the left wing. So if you spent a lot of money on a, a you know fantastic right winger that can stretch the field, um, because the revolution were really lacking that last season, whether it was Roe or Agudelo or whoever was playing there, um, really wasn't that guy. Um, those are the two positions that I think the revolution could use a lot of help at. Um, but, you know, you mentioned the central midfield. I think that, too, kind of depends on what Brad Friedel is thinking. If they're going to go with a 4-4-2 next year, um, you know, maybe you're looking at a different guy. Maybe you're looking at more of a you know two-way box-to-box guy um, as that second central midfielder, trying to find, you know, the next Jermaine Jones to be that role. Um, but if you're looking at the same system as last season, I think it's really important to go out there and, and find that number 10. Uh, so, you know, that does play a role into what – Friedel's thinking and what Mike Burns is thinking going into next season. If they're changing that formation to play two strikers up top, which, you know, makes some sense to think that they might be doing that, given that they have, you know, Juan Aguadelo, Teal Bunbury, Juan Caicedo, and even re-signed Brian Wright. Um, so there's, you know, no shortage of fours on this roster now. Uh, then maybe you're not really looking at a number 10 so much as a, as a box-to-box guy that can also provide something going forward. Um, but it, it, to me, it's, it's those two roles. If you're going to spend big on, on, on a position, it has to be either number 10 or right wing at this point. Uh, I'm going to kind of shift the question too, just because I'm a little curious. And I, I kind of mentioned too, 
about them re-signing Juan Agudelo, does that impact Diego Fagundes? I know at the end of last season, we kind of speculated if it was Diego Fagundes' last game with the Revolution. I know he's under contract for one more year, but you know we talk about the Revolution needing to go out and get another number 10 or getting a, a right winger. What do you think, where do you think Diego Fagundes is with this team right now? I know this wasn't one of our planned questions, but I mean, are you kind of questioning his role in this team right now? I mean, I, I guess right now he's the default number 10, but I don't really think, I, I don't have a whole lot of confidence in, as I did six months ago that he's going to be with the Revolution next season. Do you? Well, yeah. I mean, if you look at the team right now, he has to be the number 10 because there's really nobody else. Um, but if you look at how the season ended, it seemed like Brad Friedel was was certainly losing confidence in him in that role. Um, and I do think that, you know, like I said, that's going to be a position that the Revolution looked to address this offseason. Um, there's still plenty of time for them to go out there and do that. I don't think his role is safe at all next season. Um, you know, I still think the Revolution find a way to bring him back next year. I think he is kind of the face of this franchise at this point. You look at the Revolution's website, it's, you know, him and Caldwell, you know, plastered on the background there. You look at the the announcement that, you know, of New Jersey, and he's one of the guys plastered on that. Um, I think the team recognizes that he's one of the few recognizable guys left in this team because of his New England ties, because of how long he's been here, because he is capable of that, you know, magic moment every once in a while that makes for a great highlight um, that it don't make an effort to bring him back. Uh, I don't think he's cut out to be the, the number 10 long term. And I think Brad Friedel kind of realized that as the season wore on. Um, so, you know, where does that leave him? I'm not sure he's, you know, necessarily your everyday right winger either. Um, he's a very talented player that, you know, maybe doesn't have, the, the best position on this team or maybe it doesn't quite fit into to what the revolution are doing you know maybe he'd be better off as a, as a second striker in a 4-4-2 even uh, i'm not sure uh, but he's a guy that you know whether he's ro- rotating in and out of the starting lineup can can still provide a lot to this team we talked about how he had 2.8 key passes per game and you know was one of the the leaders in the league in that stat and by far the cheapest guy in that stat so i think he does still have a lot to offer but you know i do think his role is very much uh up in the air for next season um i you know I don't think the number 10 role has been locked up by him, and I don't think the, the right wing role has been locked up by him. So it's going to be a very interesting offseason. Um, and I do think there's some trade value there from Diego as well. He's still only 23 years old, which you know, is it's crazy to me. Um, so, yeah, I'll be very curious to see what happens with this offseason, but I don't think his position is in any way guaranteed you know, in any role. I'm, I'm really curious to see, now that I pay or put a whole lot of stock in the Revs preseason, but I am curious to see where players play in this uh, preseason because – I, I guess I, I I guess the reason I make the connection with Diego and Juan Agudelo is like I, I kind of figured Diego might move to the right wing or he might move back to the left and maybe they play Panilla on the right and they kind of play them both as wingers and and, and re-signing Juan Agudelo kind of squashes all of that so I, I'm really curious to see if they are going back to Fagundes as the ten and and rolling with him this season or if they bring in someone new and and kind of relegate Fagundes. I don't want to say to the bench, you know, I, I hope he doesn't get the Cullen Rowe treatment, uh, but I, I, it's very interesting to see where they go with uh, Diego Fagundes uh, in 2019. Um, any, anything else to add or should I move on to the last uh, Twitter question we got here? No, the, the only other thought there is if they, you know, do switch to two forwards, I think he is even you know less useful yeah. you know, on the right wing in that role. Correct. Um, so I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see what happens, but he's a very talented player. Um, he's still very young. He's still very valuable to this franchise, and he's still one of the most creative guys on the team. So, you know, you, you think that they got to find a role for him somewhere, um, but it's a question of where, and I don't think it's that central attacking midfield role, um, despite him having, you know, a decent start there and doing well and creating a lot of chances. Um, I just don't think that's the best role he's cut out for. And, you know, maybe he's, you know, again, he's still 23 years old. Maybe he develops into that, you know, ace right winger across from, from Christian 
Jackson Pania. Um, but he, he still doesn't strike me as the guy that can stretch the field, which is why I think the Revolution need somebody else there, even if it's just like a rotation guy to you know bring on as a sub to to change the game, or you know depending on what the matchup is to change the game. Because I think when they need width, um, you know you don't necessarily get that from Diego as much as you'd like, and particularly on the right side, you don't necessarily get that from Andrew Farrell. I think you know we talked about how Andrew Farrell got better at going forward this year and providing more offensively. Um, Castillo is a guy that can provide a lot on the left wing. I'm you know very excited and interesting to see how he can combine with Christian Pania. I think that's going to be you know kind of fun to watch this year. Uh, but on the right side, if you know if it's Fagundes and, and Farrell, I'm not sure you have you know kind of the, the same ability to stretch the field and the same ability to, to to pull defenses out. And maybe against some teams that's fine, um, but against other teams that's not. And that's why I think that's an area of, of that should be an area of focus for the Revs this year. Well, and looking into the next steps of the offseason this week, we have the MLS Super Draft, which, Sean, I know that's one of our favorite events in the offseason. Um, I'm saying that with a little bit of sarcasm because we, we've mentioned before that uh, it's diminishing in value year over year. Uh, so the Revolution uh, have two first round picks again this year in similar slots as they did last year. Last year they had eight and nine, I believe. Uh, and took Brendan By and Mark Segbers. Um, this year they have nine and eleven, nine being their natural spot, and then eleven being the uh, pick they got from Vancouver involved in the Kai Kamara trade. So uh, they can make some moves here. Uh, we did get a question from Zach Grimes: Will the Revs look to move up in this year's MLS draft? So Zach is thinking they might be looking to get a more lucrative player, maybe in the top five. Um, Sean, what's your thoughts? Do you think they move up? And if you were Mike Burns, what would you be doing with these picks? Yeah, so I'll be honest, I haven't watched as much college soccer this year as I ever have in the past. So I'm not as up to speed on some of the the top talents this year. I know um, there's a lot of talk about the top three picks being, you know, three talented guys that can go up there. Um, I don't know if the revolution will move to, to do that. I think if you look at what the revolution need in this draft, I don't think you're getting a number 10 from this draft. There, you know, there's some creative attacking guys that might go in the top three, but I don't think that solves the revolution's problems. Um, I kind of think they're in a similar position to last year, where if you look at the roster, they need a lot of depth at fullback again. You know, they got rid of Segbers. I consider Somi to be gone at this point. I don't think he's coming back. Um, even if he is, I don't see him playing a role, which really just leaves them with you know Castillo and, and Farrell and, and Brandon Bay. Um, so I think they you know do well to to draft a left back, and you can you know you'd probably get that at number nine or number eleven, and wouldn't necessarily need to trade up to do that. Um, you know, I just don't think. You know the draft is such a crapshoot at this point. I just don't think it's generally worth trading up unless there's a a, a real you know sure thing. Um, again, I haven't watched the college game enough this year to to say that there is that. Um, so, I, but I don't really expect the the revolution to do that. I expect them to to take a similar approach to what they did last year and you know, perhaps draft a couple of fullbacks um, in, in hopes that one of them works out and that maybe one of them can be an understudy to Castillo um, for when he does get older and and they need to phase him out and they can you know you know two years down the road if Castillo is done you know maybe they've had a left back that's learned under one of the best the better more experienced left backs in the league and and they can step in that way. Um, you know, like you said, I just don't get that excited for the super draft anymore. I used to spend a lot of time looking into it and you know talking to, to guys about who are the guys that should be targeting. Um, I just haven't done that this year because I don't think that the super draft is a great way to to add much talent other than depth at this point. Yeah, and and we could go into a lot more about uh, kind of the flaws of the super draft, but um, over time. And I looked into this. I was going to do an article for New England Soccer Today before uh, we we stopped publishing on that website. But uh, Sean, as you know, I kind of dug into the numbers last year, and it, it does seem that over time, uh, if you look at the average number of minutes for a first round pick or a top ten pick, they have gone down significantly in the past four or five years. Um, 
I, I won't get into the whole whole all those numbers right now, but uh, it, it is a lot different from five years ago where you can draft Kellen Rowe at number three and you have a guy that is starting in your lineup for the next five to six years. Um, it, it's just a totally different league. And and yeah, these picks at 9-11, they might sound great, uh, but you might get Brandon Ma, you might get Jordan McCrary, you might get Mark Segbers. Uh, it, it is a total crapshoot. And, uh, you know, I, I think this is really to fill out depth uh, on your roster. So um, I, I think they might be going for, I, I don't think they trade up to, I, I want to point that out too. I think a couple years ago they were trying to trade up for uh, Miles Robinson, I believe. Uh, Atlanta had the number two pick and they were trying to trade up for uh, the center back from Syracuse. Uh, and the Reds did not pull the trigger. And I don't think he's really done anything significant in his, I don't think he's ever started. Um, I think he's kind of blocked in it at Atlanta. Uh, but I, I don't think the revolution, unless they had a player that they really, really coveted. And I don't know where on the field they have a starting role that needs addressing right now. Um, if they had the left back spot open, I could see that. Absolutely. Um, but I, I don't think there's a spot, maybe another central midfield role that we kind of talked about. Maybe they, they see someone, um, a box-to-box midfielder that you said that they, that they really like. But overall, I, I don't see them moving up unless they really, really like someone. Um, so I, I think they use both of those picks. Um, I, as I say, I think they're going to be depth picks, maybe a fullback, and then maybe another winger. Uh, maybe a, a guy that can be a backup right winger or a backup left winger or something like that. Um, I will say too, if, if I was the revolution, I'd look to trade one of these picks and I did some research here, Sean. Uh, there were two trades last year, uh, for, in, for the super draft, um, Minnesota traded 150,000 of targeted allocation money for the number seven pick and, uh, Chicago traded $85,000 worth of general allocation money for the number 10 pick. So that's about the same amount. Uh, Gam and Tam obviously are a little different. Gam is more valuable than Tam. Um, so that's kind of what you're looking at. You're, you're looking at maybe about 100000 of uh, general allocation money, seventy five to 100000 worth of general allocation money. And I, I think that's money that you know the Revolution clearly want to improve this team by going out and scouting and making signings. I don't think they have really put a lot of a huge emphasis into the super draft. I think a lot of MLS teams really aren't putting a lot of emphasis in the super draft. So, uh, and, and the other thing too, is the revolution have five picks. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think they have other ways to bring in depth pieces. Uh, you know, if they want to bring in a backup goalkeeper or a backup left back or a backup center mid, um, they can really use the second and third round picks to kind of fill those slots. I, I I'm not necessarily, uh, think that, you know, it's not like other years where they have two picks or three picks. I mean, they have five picks this year. So um, if I were the Revs, I'd look to trade one of those picks unless they were really coveting someone. As you said, if there's a left back that they like and they want to snag at number nine, go for it. But um, overall, I, I, I'd trade it, pocket some money, and then uh, just kind of use your natural selections. I mean, I think it's kind of goofy that they're still even as a fourth round at this point. <laughs> <laughs> when you, when, hey, Samoya stayed on the stayed on the revolution all year, and then Josh Smith was a pretty damn good fourth round pick a few years ago. I thought they should have held on to him. Yeah, the the number of teams that like pass on the fourth round now make me think that uh, even in the third round. I forgot last year there were several teams that passed in the third round. I don't think the the fourth round is is long for this world at this point, especially as the the, the league gets bigger. Um, but yeah, I agree. You know. If the Revolution can trade one of these picks for you know some some gam and tam and, and use that to improve the roster elsewhere um, with a, a more of a sure bet, I think that's probably the way to go. I, I you know I just don't have faith in the super draft anymore. Um, I think the Revolution we talked about this before would be better off you know signing Justin Renix, finding a way to do that, and having him be you know one of their their depth pieces. They get um, one of the guys they groom. Uh, 
younger guys and do that outside of the super draft. I think he has a lot more potential than, you know, anyone the revolution is going to get, you know, probably, uh, and the, with their first round picks or certainly with their second round picks. Um, and then, you know, if they can trade a super draft pick to, to get some gamut Tam, they'd be better off doing it that way. Um, I've just, you know, kind of, kind of lost interest in, <laughs> in the super draft. Um, you know, given the results we've seen out of it the past few years from teams, um, you know, you know, Brandon By was a good pickup by the Revolution. Uh, you know, with the what was he the eighth pick last year? But you know, certainly not a game changer. Somebody that can can develop as years goes on and perhaps be a starter for the Revolution going forward. Um, but you know, none of these guys are going to put this team over the top or, or get them to an MLS Cup. Uh, it's just good depth pieces, good rotation pieces. You know, if you're lucky, maybe a guy that can develop into an everyday starter. Um, but you know, with the the ninth pick or the eleventh pick, I don't think the Revolution are going to to get too much to to move this team. Um, you know where they need to be next year. I mean, if you can get one one rotation guy out of these five picks, I think that's a decent draft. I think if yep. you get two guys who can contribute minutes, that's a good draft. Um, that, that that's, that's kind of the point. status of the draft. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, last year too, we talk about buy and segbers, and and buys a rotation piece. Potentially, he's going to be your starting right back in the future. Uh, and segbers was cut after one year, and I, I think overall that's a good draft. Um, it's kind of crazy to say that, you know, the guy that was drafted ninth overall was cut, but you know, I, I, I don't think these picks really have a whole lot of value anymore. Um, for the record too, if you're keeping track at home and want to follow the MLS draft on Friday, uh, Rose pick, uh, nine and 11 in round one pick number 33 in round two pick 57 in round three and, uh, pick 81 in round four. They have the ninth pick of every single round. And then of course the 11th, uh, from Vancouver. So it'll be interesting to see, but I'm not really putting a whole lot of stock into this. Um, Sean, can we complain about Renex for a minute? How ridiculous is it though? They still don't have an offer to him. That yeah, is absolutely I, insane. I I don't get what's going on there. I know, you know, what was it last month that Taylor Twelman kind of called out the the revolution for how they've been handling Renex and you know Bolello responded and didn't seem to be happy with the way you know Twelman framed it. But um, you know, I don't blame the revolution for not being you know especially transparent with how that's going down, but. Um, certainly the, the noise that's coming from people outside of the revolution is that, you know, things aren't going particularly well. Um, I had heard else, you know, elsewhere earlier in the, the fall that, you know, things were headed in the right direction, but it really seems like, um, at least from you what know, we're hearing from third party sources that aren't the revolution, that things have, you know, not necessarily been going well, particularly well lately. And, you know, other teams overseas were, were interested in him, but if the revolution haven't presented an offer to him at this point, I, you know, I don't understand what their their thought process is um because the reason that the super draft has really fallen out of importance is that you know the best players now that don't slip through the cracks end up going to academies and end up being signed as homegrowns and it's really the players that are you know not in an mls area that you know can't be signed by an academy um and you know not the big markets that uh end up in the super draft or, or guys that you know somehow slip through the cracks and uh, you know, every once in a while there'll be a stud that slips through the cracks and can en- end up in the super draft. But most of the time now these guys are getting signed to homegrown contracts. And th- again, as we discussed before, that's why it's especially important when you have a guy like Justin Reddix to sign him. Um, and, you know, I-, I just don't get what's what's going on there, what the holdup is. It would be nice to to hear more, to have more out in the open on that. Again, I get why the revolution don't want to you know talk about negotiations with him or what their discussions are. Um, but, you know, the the tweets that are out there from from other prominent figures in the soccer world don't make it sound like it's particularly going 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 well for the revolution there or that they've you know made much progress in signing him 
Well, and, and you know, I, I know I mentioned Miles Robinson a, a couple minutes ago. He was the second overall pick in the 2007 draft. Uh, and I know I mean, two, two Miles Robinson references in one podcast is very above average <laughs> for Revolution <laughs> Recap. But Miles Robinson was eligible to be a home, uh, uh, be on one of these contracts for the Revolution, and they didn't sign him. He went to Syracuse, and then he was eligible for the Super Draft, and the Revolution tried getting him anyway. And, and he was a center back. The Revolution were in desperate need of a center back at the time. I mean, they really made life harder for themselves. Uh, and I, I see this whole thing happening again with Justin Rennix, but on a much, much bigger scale because Miles Robinson, I don't think, was ever a, a United States uh, national team prospect, whereas Justin Rennix is. Uh, Justin Rennix is making noise overseas as a college player. Uh, I, I mean, I'm not sure what exactly the holdup is. My, I, I don't know if you can add any color to this, Sean. I assume it's money, uh, but overall, I mean, we, we've talked about this before. This guy is a top five asset to the revolution. I think this is a potentially marketable star for the revolution. Uh, and, and, you know, you have so many young pieces on this team right now. Uh, I, I just, I understand the revolution have brought in Edgar Castillo and Caicedo who are a little bit older and they, they're really filling out this roster and looking uh, at 2019. It, it looks like they do want to contend in 2019. Great. But I also think you do have to look long-term and, and look at these younger kids that are going to be taking the field for you three, four, five years down the road. And I don't see what, I just don't understand how they aren't all over Justin Reddick's and how they're not even it, it. They should not be giving any opportunity for a, teams in Europe to potentially come in and snag them. Uh, and it sounds like that. That sounds like what's going to happen. I, I think it's pretty inevitable at this point. Well, I would love to be a fly on the wall with these discussions because we can really only speculate. But, you know, you know, it was a few years ago now, or actually, I can't remember exactly how long ago it was, where, you know, Renex went and trialed overseas, or not trialed, but trained overseas, and the Revolution weren't happy about that and suspended him um, and, you know, kind of held that against him. And I'm sure that, you know, soured their relationship a bit. But, you know, everything we've heard recently is that he still is interested in signing for the Revolution. Um, I would hope that at this point the, the Revolution aren't holding a grudge against him because of that, and that's what's holding up negotiations, because to me that would be, you know, kind of insane at this point. But, um, you know, because we, we don't know exactly what's going on, you can only speculate, and, you know, maybe Mike Burns is, you know, still offended that um, he went overseas and, they, you know, they suspended him back then and he didn't listen to him at that point, and that's part of the, the holdup at this point. Or, or maybe Renix, you know, still does hold that somewhat against the team and, um, you know, wants an apology or wants, wants more because of that. I, I don't know. But from what I heard, um, he does want to, he does still want to come here and is interested in coming here. So if he does and the revolution are somehow holding that against him, I, I, I just don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me if he wants to come here or why he's not here. I agree with everything you said. Um, moving on to some other kind of notes, uh, Sean, uh, grade the new away jerseys. What'd you think? Eh, I mean, they're fine. They're nothing special. They, you know, kind of went basic in a way that you know, nobody can really complain about it, but also are not going to get me excited. And um, I don't know if this new design is going to encourage anyone to to go out there and, and buy a new jersey. It's just, you know, pretty plain and basic. I don't have a problem with plain and basic, but eh. Yeah, I agree. Kind of nothing, nothing to write home about. Uh, I, I still think it's better than the uh, red and white stripes. Uh, I thought I think we kind of touched on this uh, a little while ago. We thought those were some really ugly jerseys. Uh, overall, yeah, meh, it was great. Er, I, not, it, it's good. Yeah, I guess it's okay. What I don't get is why they like release these graphics that kind of make it look like it's gray when it's actually like light blue. And I think right. the, I think the way they kind of <laughs> announced this thing at at midnight on New Year's again, 
um, was an interesting choice, and I'm not sure that was the best way to go about it, especially I think they, like, teased it at, you know, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, like, stay tuned for a jersey announcement. Um, it was the least exciting New Year's announcement I've ever seen in my life. Like, oh, there's yeah. a uh, basic gray and white jersey. Yeah. Or and, light blue. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was gray and white for the longest time, and then I, yeah. I think the next day when I was hungover on New Year's, I was like, <laughs> oh, it's blue. Okay. Yeah, it's it was weird. It was. I think they didn't handle the uh, the announcement as uh, well as they could, and then the the end product was, you know, it's okay, <laughs> but <laughs> nothing I'm getting excited about. Um, another thing I, I do get excited about too is uh, Wendy's Frosties, uh, just absolutely delicious. Number six combo at Wendy's, <laughs> best fast food combo out there. Uh, hot take, I know. Uh, but Sean, uh, Wendy's roasted the revs, uh, and a lot of people weren't too happy that the revolution. Uh, got involved online. Wendy's does a roast every single year where uh, you can tweet at them and then they roast you. Uh, and Wendy's, of course, kind of hit the low-hanging fruit and said, um, what's it like to share a field with a champion? We're talking about Tom Brady, of course. Ha, ha, ha. Revolution don't have any champions. Uh, or Revolution don't have any titles. Um, yeah, I, I thought Wendy's could have done better. I wasn't really uh, too happy with their roast. I, I, I thought there's a lot to roast about this team, and they just kind of took the low-hanging fruit, as I say. Uh, I expected better from Wendy's, didn't you? Yeah, that was that was a bit too easy. I think they could have uh, could have done better with that. I don't really get the outrage about the the revolution responding to that. I thought it was, you know, as you know, both of us know, Wendy's is pretty hilarious with some of their tweets. Um, I don't blame the revolution for you know even getting silly publicity for doing that. Um, but yeah, the 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 response from Wendy's could have been a bit more creative. <laughs> I, I gotta say too, I I think the funniest part of the whole thing was that, and I don't mind the revolution tweeting at them, just ha ha ha, I, I get you want to laugh at yourself, it's fine. But uh, the whole the, the best part was that the revolution tweeted at them, asking them, hey, what do you think of our logo? Basically just admitting that they know their logo sucks. <laughs> just like, hey, what do you think of our crappy logo? And Wendy's, it just kind of went over That's their right. head and they just <laughs> swung at the no titles thing. So uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, it's Twitter, I, it was a fun little thing. I'm not going to rail on the the revs too much, but Wendy's, I don't know, they got to bring a little bit better. You know, one thing we were sp- talking about Revolution Twitter that I do have to point out because I see it a lot on my timeline is whoever w- runs the uh the Revolution Twitter account is a huge Liverpool fan because they keep liking random Liverpool tweets. So, uh, that's just one thing that I wanted to to point out there, which is interesting that the uh Revolution owned by Kraft are liking all of the Liverpool owned by John Henry tweets. Um, but yeah, just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you go on their timeline and click likes, you'll see a lot of them. <laughs> Are you angry that they're not a Tottenham fan, Sean? Well, I mean, they should be, but I'm just surprised they're supporting anybody in the Premier League and, and kind of taking sides on that. <laughs> yeah. And going, yeah, I think the, the notable thing is it's the John Henry team, uh, as you say, um, kind of just some other notes and shout outs. Uh, I, Nicholas Samoya is signed with a Honduran team. Uh, I believe Christian Machado, I don't know if he signed or he's about to sign back with a Bolivian team, which I don't think is a big surprise. So best of luck to them uh, in their non-MLS leagues. And their Any Hache news? Not close to uh, the MLS. Best of luck. I'm sure you guys will do great. <laughs> yeah. What did you say about Hache? Did he sign too? No, I'm just saying. Is there any, I don't think I've heard anything about him out there. Kind of shocking. Hang on. Let me look. <laughs> I'm Sean, sure do, do, do your shout outs while I'm Googling uh, Hache. <laughs> no, I was actually like quickly – googling and, and checking twitter for that and i don't think there's been any any house news i i mean i don't know who would really want to sign him um but i think we all knew the machado thing was going to happen we saw when when he left um and again i'm not sure it's official yet but we saw uh actually now that i'm, I'm looking at this i see a guillermo hache on a score sheet 
on December 2nd in a match. So maybe he uh, is either trialing for somebody or signed for somebody. And so now that I, uh, <laughs> now, now that I say that, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know that I have any, uh, any big shout outs this week. I'm sure I'm probably missing something given all that's been happening over the, uh, the past several weeks, but um, you know, I'll be watching the super draft on Friday, but not getting particularly excited for it as someone that's attended the super draft in the past and, and found it really exciting in the past. Um, the results kind of speak for themselves in the last few years. There's a few guys out there that will be key contributors for teams, but, um, that's the exception at this point. So, uh, you know, maybe we'll have a, a podcast after that, if there's any other news in addition to the super draft, but otherwise I'm not sure that that alone is going to be <laughs> enough worth talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, update on the Houche thing. I, I can't find anything. So I think he is still a free agent. Um, the mo- the latest tweet that I can find from Houche is uh, Jonathan Siegel saying New England actually signed Guillermo Houche last season despite never scoring a professional goal. So uh, <laughs> like the double take still after the season. I think we got to like set a news alert. So when he does score a goal, we like have a big party. Well, there's a there's something like there's a I just I uh, can't figure out what this is now. But now that I you know looked it up on Twitter, there was a Universidad Catolica versus uh, Tamuko, I'm sure I botched that name, score sheet from December 2nd that somebody tweeted out that has Guillermo Hache's name on it with a third minute goal. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know what that is, but. That can't be right. That can't be. <laughs> if he scored, that can't be right. Well, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm just shocked by that. And I'm trying to like frantically figure out what, what that, what that was. Um, and maybe it was like a, a trial or something. And then I, I like, I see a, another box score off of Twitter, and I don't see his name on it. So who who score says he he does not he has not played in a game since uh, the game against Orlando City where he played 14 minutes. Yeah, so I'm going to say he's still a free agent, my, and he my, still does not score. Yeah, my only question here is if he was like trialing for somebody, which is entirely possible, <laughs> and scored yeah. like a friendly match. But we'll we'll, we'll uh, next next episode we'll have a Hache update when we do a little. You're bit not better. talking about. There's another soccer player, Gabriel Hache. That's no, not this is this is a Guillermo Hache. But again, this is like a Twitter box score from somebody that I, you know, don't know. So it's fake for, news. For, for all I know, it could be like a FIFA score. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that is not a real thing, and he still has not scored a goal. But but when he does. I think we need to do an emergency podcast and have a celebration. I mean, if it is a real thing, we'll tweet it out. <laughs> I'll, dig, I'll dig into it. Don't worry. Yeah. All right. Any any other questions or is that it? No, I would just say uh, follow us at, uh, at Revolution Recap. Uh, you can also follow me on my personal account at gjohnstone12. Uh, I will probably be angrily tweeting about the Patriots playoffs coming up. So if you want to see someone get really mad online – Follow me, uh, but definitely follow at Revolution Recap. Uh, and also, uh, if you guys don't mind, uh, we love ratings and reviews. So if you want to uh, rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast, please do. Yes, that would be that'd be wonderful. And you can follow me at Sean L. Donahue. And we'll be back whenever there's enough Revolution news worthy of us coming back. So keep your eyes out. We'll, we'll post on Twitter when that. We did say that last time, though, and it took us a few weeks to get back. So That's I true. would say probably two or three weeks regardless, That's depending true. on what our schedules match up. <laughs> I mean, if they like make a trade for the Super Draft and like sign somebody incredible, uh, that might warn us finding a way for us to regardless. But yeah. <laughs> we'll keep you posted. Thanks again, everybody. So we uh, we wrapped up the show, but we have to come back quickly to uh, tell you guys we did discover what happened with Guillermo Hache after we finished recording. Um, and he did, in fact, score a professional goal back in February 
uh, second of this year. However, it was a own goal. So Guillermo Hache, the attacking midfielder uh, who has never scored a professional goal to our knowledge, did score a professional goal, but it was an own goal in the third minute of a game uh, on February 2nd. So that's what that was, Greg. Yeah, an attacking midfielder who has more professional own goals than actual goals. Um, yeah, we were pretty puzzled at this one because we were like, oh, did he play for Catalica? Uh, we thought his team was Tomuko. Uh, and <laughs> then we kind of looked at the number, the letters next to his name and we're like, I bet that stands for own goal. So, yeah, Guillermo Hache, uh, not the best attacker or the best defender. Yeah, so we were, we were a bit thrown off. Or I was a bit thrown off, I should say, when I saw this box score because it was tweeted out on December 2nd. But it was actually a game that happened on February 2nd. And I was also thrown off because there were two goals listed with AG. And I did not realize or forgot that in Spanish that was own goal. Uh, so there were two own goals scored in this game. And Hache scored one of them. Um, so congrats to Hache. He did score a professional goal just on his own net. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he scored zero goals for a team that was relegated in the Chilean League this year. So... Yeah, another bang-up uh, signing by the Revolution. <laughs> no, no, we're we're going to be bitter about this one for a long, long time. When I this mean, happened, we're all like, what exactly are they doing? And the more we dig and the more we dig, we just find more and more uh, to poke fun at. So, I, I, mean, I, I again, I'm, I'm ready to party when he actually scores a real goal because I'm rooting for this guy now. I want him to win the golden boot in whatever country he plays for I, next. But, I felt bad oof. for misreading that box score, but now that I'm glad I did because now we know he scored no goal in his career. I know this is going to be chopped up, but I want people to know that we are very confused for a solid 10 to 15 minutes. <laughs> we wasted a lot of time. Looking at this. We, we did. And on that note, we will waste no more time and end it there. <laughs> <laughs>